I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. We would like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land that we're doing this podcast on in Los Angeles, the Keech, the Shumash, and the Tongva people, and pay our respects to their elders past and present. Salvador Dali threw a great party. We all drank Bacardi. It got kind of gnarly. We're light as a feather. We're tougher than leather. Together we're weirder. We're weirder together. Ioni Sky. Benjamin Michael Lee. How are you doing? I'm pretty good. In this troubled world we live in, full of, you know, every day, a different sort of tragedy and disaster. Yeah. We root our joy in the things we love mm-hmm. and are passionate about. And that's really what keeps us going, right? Yeah. It's like the, some levity, some fandom. Yes, yes. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> and we took a little journey over probably the last six months, a journey of fandom. Yeah. With our friend Jenny Ellescu. And <laughs> we welcome her here today to discuss the, the travails, the Don Quixote-esque <laughs> journey of a podcast we attempted to make. Jenny, you probably know as like legendary indie rock alternative journalist. I'm thinking like, I know there was a whole trajectory before Spin, but that was like a core era of your influence. And then Sirius XMU and you've, you are an authority on all things bubbling slightly to the left of center. Thank you. And host of the <laughs> LSQ podcast and just general music legend. Welcome to Weirder Together. Thank you. It's, I love seeing how it all happens. It's yeah, great to be here. Yeah, seeing how the sausage is made. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Gross. Thanks for having me. Um, yeah, I was thinking on my way over here uh, about our, yes, very tilting at windmills kind of journey together, which is it's crazy it's been almost a year since we first started talking about and and i say you're fated but i think the job of a lifetime career in show business is that nothing's ill fated because ultimately this conversation is coming out of something we tried to make so perhaps you know you never know exactly what form ideas are going to land in and totally. maybe this maybe this was the form maybe we did almost a year of dialogue and research to have one podcast episode <laughs> that worth we'll it. make no money out of <laughs> worth it totally worth it yeah so let's um let's go back to the beginning of this particular story yeah the beginning of this particular story is december of 2022 oh, grounding it in actual dates i love yeah. this is the journalist in you that's why we need you here right now <laughs> Um, uh, and yeah, December of 2022, uh, the subject of our fascination, one Mr. Jonathan Richmond, played a residency here in LA at Zebulon that, you know, many of our friends attended over the course of, I think it was like five shows, myself included. You know, I'd seen Jonathan play in New York a couple of times at bigger venues, Bowery Ballroom, and, you know, I've been a huge fan and loved it. There was something just extra special and magical about Zebulon, which is more like a cabaret environment and the stage is really low and you're just really right there. He stepped off the stage and he was right next to me. Really the ideal 
like Jonathan experience. And I posted something on Instagram just about enthusing about it. And someone who follows me wrote back and had this story about living in, you know, sort of the vicinity where Jonathan lives currently up in Northern California and living in that town and how if you live there, you sometimes see Jonathan just bouncing down the street, just like singing a song or something. And, you know, he'll wave, hey, or he'll be sitting at the popcorn stand at the local movie theater or whatever. I, I reposted that and got some other folks chipping in with some stories. And we, who have known each other for years, mm. kind of began our first really meaningful engagement and friendship with each other. Yes. Jonathan brought us through together. through this and through the <laughs> idea. And you're, I have to say, like, if even if this is the only thing we make, yes. you know, here we are. This yes. is awesome. But also it was your sort of energy toward, oh, there's something. Yes. Like we love Jonathan too. And there's maybe there's something there. Well, I remember like right then, I, I think I did a tweet that was, is someone going to make a Jonathan Richmond documentary? And right. Michael McKean retweeted it. And it's like, and you started realizing like, <laughs> wow, there are all these people who are huge fans. Like we we have these seminal lifetime experiences with Jonathan Richmond. Now, I think we should give a little background to who Jonathan is because yes. not everybody is as fluent in the lore of Jonathan Richmond. Um I mean, where do we, let's give broad strokes. I mean, Jonathan Richmond is one of the ultimate outsider artists, a singer songwriter, best known as the leader of the modern lovers, which, you know, certainly have reached that status where even if you're a kid on streaming platform X, you, you probably will stumble across modern lovers at some point, or you've seen their logo, or you know their- And basically one album, right? And this record, the Sex Pistols covered Roadrunner. So we're talking about like the Modern Lovers were like the proto-punk band. I know they oh, yeah. started 70, what what year about? They started in 70, 71. So um, long ago. So long ago. One of those bands where you're just sort of like think it's later because they kind of fit in this, you know, this world where it's not like, I, I remember being surprised like, wow, that's a, that was earlier than I thought. It's almost like a hippie era they're in, but they were like, so when were the Velvet Underground? Well, the thing is that the Velvet yeah. Underground only started a little before the Modern Lovers, and I feel like I've noticed this a lot over the years, that like a great new band will be influenced by a band just ever so slightly older than them, because if you're young people in your teens, you probably are excited about a band that's in their later teens or yeah. in their 20s. So then as time passes, they get they seem to get closer and closer together, but you know, Jonathan Richmond before Modern Lovers was a Velvet Underground super fan. He was there yeah. and, you know, Sterling Morrison once said, like, if the Velvet Underground had a protege, it was Jonathan. Mm. He would, he it was the first band he heard that he loved. He had a Fugs album. He traded his friend for the VU and Nico album. And he was obsessed with them as like his personal brand as, as like a kid. And you know, what's so weird about it that a lot of artists who are influenced by the Velvets what they love about it is like the seediness and the this sort of like darker edge of yeah. it. Whereas Jonathan seemed to have no interest in that, but he loved just the rawness and the honesty and the fact that like it was DIY and it was like empowering. Like you never heard him referencing like, oh, it was great hearing people sing about heroin or, you know, which is what a lot of like people get caught up in with Velvet Underground. Yeah, I think it was, you know, my understanding and I and I, I referenced to an extent this book, uh, the only Jonathan Richmond biography I've been able to find by writer Tim Mitchell. That's it there. Um, and it's great. 
Uh, and so, yeah, so a lot of what I know comes from there, that the spirit of the Velvet Underground's music is what kind of, I mean, Jonathan grew up hearing a lot of the 60s music of his generation, but that was sort of the inciting moment. And then I think it was his interpretation of that spirit that's been, you know, what's carried his music forward ever since, which is just much more earnest and like just sincere. Well, he got really like anti-volume. He basically like the punk, the way he interpreted being punk was he quietened way down and he started making music. He liked playing in old age homes and preschools and his music sometimes would sound like kids' music, but it also was like, it was for grown-ups. Yeah, I mean, when you think of artists from now who sound like Jonathan Richmond or are influenced by Jonathan Richmond, like, who do you think of? Um, like, our friend Adam Green, yeah. you know, certainly at the at the forefront, or I guess maybe even like a, a David Berman in, in a way, but... Yeah, but th- those are also more intellectual. I, I kind of also think of, like, the playfulness that, you know, especially went into, like, K Records and all that kind of stuff. Oh, like, yeah. the indie stuff that was, like, like what you'd call twee, I think really, like... Low vol- low register mm, tweet. Oh, yeah, Calvin Johnson <laughs> being, like, with the big balls, but very gentle. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, like, I think that whole sense of where music became, indie rock and punk became playful was really, like, the Jonathan Richmond lineage. Yeah, his commentary on life, and it doesn't feel angry, but you know, the way he feels about the world. And it's just, it's such a great tone because obviously he's so about like beautiful things and, you know, affection and all these kind of beautiful things. But, you know, I don't know. He's just so unique, his uh, his take on um, the modern world. Yeah, there you go. So, <laughs> so, we all, so we all love his music and we've all had different experiences going to his shows or meeting him or, and we should talk about some of those experiences. But our concept was, wow, this is a guy who is notoriously press shy. Right, like, what's his policy with interviews and things? Well, like yeah, that? one yeah. Of the, one little turn in it was that I reached out to his the people who handle his stuff and uh, asked if he would be on my podcast because he was here doing those shows at Zebulon, and I knew, you know, you have to. He won't use. He's never had a cell phone or a laptop. You know, he only wants to do kind of analog stuff. So I said I can bring my little Tascam to Zebulon, and we can do it there, and. Um, that they wrote back and said that um, he would only do a radio interview or, you know, what I interpret as an audio interview if it was, like, first of all, set up well ahead of him being on tour, understandable, but also that it would be a live interview only, never to be rebroadcast, and you couldn't edit it up, cut it up, and use it for something else. And I was like, well, if I ever have that... (laughs) Kind of a situation, <laughs> like he'd do Good Morning America, or like he do, like that. or like if you, if you know, true college radio or local yeah. radio, where they, you know, I work at Sirius XM, we record and save everything. We can't just air something live and right. not, not keep it. Um, you know, but true, like college radio live show, he could sit, swing, and sit down. Hey, it's Jonathan. I'm on tour. Blah blah blah, and get them to swear they're going to burn the tape or something. But um, I don't have that sort of a thing, and so that was you know kind of how it became clear. Like the only way to make a podcast about Jonathan Richmond is without his participation. And yeah. who, who needs him to participate? After all, if that's okay, there's plenty of of, of ways to 
talk about Jonathan without Jonathan having to do something uncomfortable. Yeah, because there's not, like, if you go on YouTube, there's some live performance, but there's not, like, a whole bunch of interview footage. Or I mean, it's very, he's really courted a certain kind of anonymity, which is interesting because he's someone who, like, the mainstream has called on at moments. You know, like, he was, his most mainstream thing was he was the narrator, the musical narrator for There's Something About Mary, because the Farrelly brothers were huge fans of his. So he's not, like, we're not talking about Gigi Allen or someone who's doing something so transgressive, there's no room for them in the mainstream. He just has kept it at arm's length, like, very intentionally. Yeah, I mean, that's so a part of this whole situation that we have been in trying to do this. And, you know, even just refreshing my memory with with this great Tim Mitchell book today about his willful obsolescence, this sort of lack of desire to be perceived that, you know, I've seen in other artists over the years, and I think it's a perennial trait, but there's such a purity of it with him. Yeah, It makes you wonder about, you know, it makes you wonder about why yes. so so very much, but it's like always been an ingredient in what he's done. For instance, he never keeps any of his recordings for more than a year. So if he records himself doing something, after a year, he destroys it. Wow. wow. I didn't know that. Yeah. I mean, and if you don't know anything about Jonathan Richmond, like, yes, get a load of this. This man has never had a computer or cell phone. He has a song called, you can have a cell phone. That's okay, but not me. <laughs> I He's know. not messing around. And it's, but it's not <laughs> annoying. Like some people who take these stances can rub me the wrong way. I don't know if they rub others the wrong way or it gets a little like, I don't know, in this certain category with people who like, we only eat this food and we only live this way. And it sort of feels kind of something. Different sort of things. like angry contrarian. Yeah, or like, thing, yeah. you know, I don't even know. But for him, I don't know if it's just that I'm a fan, but somehow he makes it okay. Like, okay, great, you do that. Yeah, because he's so nice. He's such a great spirit. Like, everything seems to be coming from this place of gentleness and kindness and joy and authenticity. And there's no contrivance. It's just really, it's just really what he loves. And it's not about him. You know, he doesn't want to make it about him. The, the, the conflict as a fan with that is that his music is not deliberately opaque you know there's there's certain artists like blue nile or something where i you could listen to that music and come out feeling you knew nothing about the creators it's like or even like talk talk or things that are just sort of like they create these aesthetic worlds and you go okay i understand you desire to live as an anonymous entity but jonathan anyone who's lived through his music and it's touched them really does feel like it's a friend and yeah. so the I idea mean, that he's so out of reach. We're calling him yeah. Jonathan. Yeah. I mean, he's always calling himself Jonathan. Yeah. You know, in his songs, yeah. he even refers to, hey, Jonathan. Right. You know, people say, hey, Jonathan. Yeah, yeah. his songs are so autobiographical yeah. that it is confusing that he um, feels comfortable sharing that stuff, but doesn't feel comfortable sharing anything else or other stuff. Or, you know, I've I've wondered whether the thing about wanting things to be quiet, because that's another thing, you know, as you mentioned, like it's key that his story involves wanting to get quieter and quieter and having like what started off as a punk band that pretty quick, so quickly that before they had even put out their album, he had decided that they were getting too loud. You know, part of what happened with their album is that it didn't come out until after they had broken up 
because of Jonathan having inner conflict about what they were doing and whether it was the right thing, you know, recording with different, they recorded with John Cale, they recorded with Kim Fowley, they couldn't find a manager. He He didn't want to perform the repertoire from that famous album on tour. So they got dropped before the album even came out. And some of the people who t- who've worked with him and talk about him in, in this book, like, you know, talk about that being frustrating. Like they did, they couldn't play quietly enough, you know, mm-hmm. and it's, I'm just fascinated. I don't know if I'll ever know um, what he thinks about, you know, the why of it yeah, all. Yeah. I don't know if he wants us to know. I mean, they're, they're, I guess what we're saying is there could be more of a conflict than because he, he presents himself as really he's made decisions and this is what he wants, but he might be more conflicted than, you yeah, know, Yeah, I mean, you know. get the sense that, you know, but it's not like, I don't feel like with like J.D. Salinger, you feel like they're they're blocking you out. Like when the, I guess like, I don't know, like you feel like, oh, they don't want me in their world. But with, with Jonathan Richmond, I don't really feel like you're blocking me out. Like it's more like there must be some complicated thing going on. I don't know about his love life, but I know, I feel like I. Yeah, I mean, he was, he like met a woman early on in his music career, Gail, who he married and had kids with um, and was with for a long time. And then I think he's been with the same woman for many, many years now since then. And yeah, his whole thing was just romantic love and wanting to have a wife and kids for, you know, as long as, you know, he he could talk about it, basically. I mean, even I was listening to someone I care about on the way here, you know, it's just like, I don't want a girl just to ball. You know, all I want is a girl that I can care about or I want nothing at all. Right. You know, it's like he knows what he wants and he wants that. You and know? that, and that the, the, when sharing Jonathan Richmond, like the first, you know, per, people that, you know, turn you on or whatever, it very much, even if it's a friend who did, that it is romantic it is one of those romantic things like listen to this and then you hear the first whatever whether it's hospital or whatever the girlfriend or, girlfriend or whatever first three songs that you you and you know and then whoever gave it to you it becomes your romantic thing that you did together and it, it just it, the sharing of jonathan richmond is so nice it's some of the most romantic yeah. songwriting in popular music i think that's like ever because just because it is so and he talks about this. There's this, uh, he comes from, he feels like he comes from another time, mm-hmm. essentially. And in a way, it's a bit of a fantasy time. Like that time sort of never really existed, but it's like almost a, a type of chivalry don't and romance. You love the, love yeah, the whole New England thing. And I, I can also think of like the imagery, the slight imagery that comes up of the covered bridge or whatever, mm. just like this kind of nice imagery of this world that he wants. And now as fans, as deep fans of Jonathan Richman, our desire was in a sense to work within the parameters and to, because we have no desire. This was not like the looking for Richard Simmons thing where we wanted to like <laughs> expose him and go, it was yeah. more about, hey, we know he doesn't want to do this. Yeah. Let's leave him out of it totally. Let's respect his boundaries. Let's respect his boundaries, but let's talk to everyone has these stories about him. Yeah. And so our idea was to combi- compile a series based around people's experiences with Jonathan Richmond, which to me felt like a good compromise. But I guess I also, um, I assumed he wanted compromise. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, and also it just, it does seem, I don't know that I've 
you know, I, I'm a huge fan, and so I've read more about him and like paid, focused more on stories about him. But I haven't heard as many delightful stories about one artist as about Jonathan. You know, I mean, even just when we were first posting about it, and someone I know had a story of, you know, having been in Jonathan's home and describing a guest room where there's a couch with velvet rope around it and a sign that says cats only, <laughs> which is just like, how wonderful is that? Or even like in the, in this book, there's when, when um, modern lovers were on top of the pops, buzzcocks were on as well. And Pete Shelley told a story about Jonathan just hopping, you know, like truly hopping up the stairs backstage, just in a world of his own, just completely oblivious to Pete Shelley walking by just, for yeah. funsies or whatever, you know, there's just <laughs> these stories about him that seem like it's 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 so many. Aren't it's there? so yeah. many. Wow. I so, mean, he could be a cult leader. Like I, <laughs> you'd be like, everyone live like a child, live quietly. Like I, I would almost go in that that one. <laughs> Together we're weirder, we're weirder. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Together. Hi, beautiful babies. I'm Ben Lee. And I'm Ioni Sky. And we are the hosts of Weirder Together podcast. If you enjoy our podcast, you might like some of the podcasts that our friends make and release on the Weirder Together podcast network. Like punk legend Jello Biafra's Renegade Roundtable. Multidisciplinary artist Brock Enright's trippy sonic journey, Vague Data. Making Ways, the art of music, an exploration of the ways that musicians and visual artists communicate and collaborate. Raw Impressions with Lou Barlow and Adele Barlow. I love that, one of my favorite married couples. And The Blag Show with Sarah and Sally, a collection of never-before-heard vintage interviews with legendary artists. And The Future of Being a Musician with Ben Lee. Find these pods on your favorite podcast platform now. Love ya. Well, let's get into our personal stories to start with. Like, Ioni, what are your... You've had some experiences. I mean, I don't have that many, but I did in my early dating, I guess, like with with Adam Horowitz, he was the first person to, you know, give me Jonathan Richmond stuff. And then I feel like when I was friends with Sofia Coppola... Um, we were listening. There was just a time in the 90s and it was just such a great time. And I just personally was just listening to Jonathan Richmond. And then at Sofia Coppola's wedding to Spike Jones, um, Tom Waits and Jonathan Richmond performed, as you have, you know. That's a Quinceanera lineup. (laughs) (laughs) And just in a, you know, in a Francis Ford Coppola vineyard in Napa. It is amazing. Like, if you can get your calls returned by anyone, that is, those are some tasteful requests. And they each did a couple of songs. Yeah, like Tom Waits did Outside, and then there was this sort of more interior, maybe it had, you know, wine bottles and stuff, and... Jonathan Richmond did some songs. What do you songs. mean, maybe it had wine bottles? Well, it was like the room that Tom Waits was outdoors on a like a stage. And oh, then later uh, in the evening, Jonathan Richmond, with a, it was sort of like at the end of the wedding. And it was like a very like 
we're in a room now, it's quite a big room, but it was sort of just a room this size. And it, what I'm saying is it might have been a room that had wine. It felt like a dungeon type room. Cool. And not that many people we are in were. The, we're in the Coppola sex dungeon. <laughs> wine and sex dungeon. <laughs> and we weren't real, not that many people were watching. And then I was just like, I was just sort of, you know, locked. I was ob just observing him. Was he on a mic and stuff or was yeah. he just playing in the room? And then he yeah. just sort of looked like very much like, do not talk to me, anybody. Not in a bad way, but just I did not. And I was standing by him thinking maybe he will talk to me, but he was very shy and we didn't, but I also was not surprised, mm. but it was just, um, yeah, it was just kind of a, a very heady, trippy thing to have ha have happened. Mm. But yeah. You? Yeah. My, my experiences were, I was a huge fan and when I was making Breathing Tornadoes, that was the first record I made where I had sort of like a budget and capital it was coming out on Grand Royal through Capital. So I had like a label saying, what do you want? You know, who do you want to, do you want guests on the record or anything? And I was like, I'd love Jonathan Richmond. <laughs> and so, 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 and I think they were like, okay. Um, <laughs> and, um, the, and they, um, and th I ended up getting a message on my voicemail. Hey Ben, this is Jonathan. I, I heard you want me and Tommy to produce your record. And I was like, God bless Jonathan Richmond. He's made some of my favorite records ever. I've never gone, you know what the key is here? The production. Wait, <laughs> the production of this. But didn't, why wouldn't you say yes? I was in the middle of oh, making an expensive record sure. with Ed Buller, who'd done the psychedelic <laughs> first and pulp. Okay. It was like high production with strings oh and, God. you know, anyway. So I, I, I called him and I talked on the phone um, and it was like awkward, but nice, you yes. know? And then- I met him two other times, once at the Something About Mary premiere because I also had a song in that, mm -hmm. but he had earplugs in at the party. <laughs> and it was, again, I got that feeling of, he even said to me, he's like, this isn't a good place to talk. Aww. And so I didn't talk. And then yeah. later with Evan Dando, we went to see him at Irving Plaza and Jonathan was like, hey, Evan, hey, Ben. And and um, and um he was, but it was very brief and- um. I don't know. That was it. It was like I, I was very intimidated because I loved him so much. I didn't I didn't know. There's only been a handful of people I felt like I don't know how to handle myself in these interactions. Um, and well, that's I, one of them. I understand the being overwhelmed by sounds and loudness and whatever that is. But, you know, but yes. Uh, and when you think about how resistant he was to attention, something about Mary must have been bananas. Yeah, that's it's interesting too that he there are a few things that he's been really very much up for over the years and it's and like it's hard to derive any kind of well what is it, what is the kind of thing he might be up for. So I guess before something about Mary, he is like in the background in scenes in Dumb and Dumber like oh. um playing. So that was sort of his, how they got him kind of into their world so that he could have this bigger role in there's something about Mary, but similarly he, you know, he went on Conan multiple times. He liked he was up for Conan. You know, right. he was up for Farrelly Brothers movies. He's up, was up for Sophia's wedding. He's been up for, you know, you hear about him popping up at something that's a little bit glamorous that he was up for which is, you know, part of the mystery of just like, oh, no, he does want to be, that's the part that I don't understand. He does want to be understood, I think. There's a sense in his music and just 
the sort of like loneliness kind of vibe that he came from and and at the aspirational like I'm from Boston and isn't New York and the Velvet Underground cool and of accessibility in that or of like openness to sharing but at the same time these these obstacles that he kind of puts up in front of himself I mean when you get more familiar with the history of all the different musicians who played with him over the years them reaching a point where they were frustrated that he by the limitations he was imposing and even with love you know they parted with love but where they were like I can't I can't I don't know what what I'm supposed to be doing here. Well, that's that, unique because so yeah. many bands, obviously, there's the drug thing where one's just going down a drug. Or road. there's the singer who wants to be too famous. Oh, right, <laughs> right, right. yeah, like um, po- the police or whatever. Yeah. Like, but yeah, but I wonder if there's a through line with Conan and Sophia, and I'm trying to, or in the and the Farley Brothers. I'm trying to think: is there a personality type that he just responds to? Well, I think but he I don't also know. does love, like, he loves rock and roll iconography. He loves show business. Yeah, like, I think yeah, there's a yeah. That's uh. the side that's interesting. And I was also kind of like, as a musician who's, you know, I'm in my mid-40s, I've lived through the transition from basically, you know, analog to digital and and how you, how you navigate an income with right. that. I was just sort of like, we should be doing whatever we can to like, there's no reason like a Jonathan Richmond song couldn't become a massive TikTok sound. Like there yeah. is income that he could be earning without doing too many mainstream things hands-on. And so we were like, we could be, hey, let's get out in the trenches and put the good word forward. Yeah. So the, I think the- But I, also just yeah. the love, just to be like- The love, Just yeah. to be like religious about it exactly. and just be like, I get so much of like pure joy from his music, but also from these stories about him and from however confusing they are, the choices that he makes that- I know other people would feel inspired by him and other people have been inspired by him. And that's the thing to share, regardless of how it affects his mm. life, is just that. And I feel, and I guess I feel like, oh, he, I think he does want that. I think he does want the energy that he's moved by to be shared um, because these various stories about him are, are just so so char- like just disarming and charming in a way I've truly never heard of any other music artist who is like that so definitively. So let's talk about some of those. Well, firstly, have you, had you met him before? No, no I had never met okay. him. And like at Zebulon, he, like I say, he kind of stepped off the stage. It was a little bit of a, just like, Ooh, careful, Jonathan, you know, right. we we're all just right there. And it was at the end of the show and he was a little kind of confused for a minute about where to go. And he was happy. And I, I said, thank you. And he said, thank you. And, you know, I was like, wow, okay, that was, I, I spoke to him. That was kind of easy. You know, that was before I emailed and asked about the interview. Mm. Um, but I've never had any encounter with him. I will say that he was in my dream last night. Wow. And I was walking down the street. And much like this one story I had heard, he was he was coming down the street, like, in some musical. You know, he was dancing and singing by himself. And as he walked by, I waved hello, and he <laughs> waved hello back. And then I... I was like, he wants to dance. We're going to dance now. Me and Jonathan Richmond are going to dance my dream. And we sort of, but then it got awkward. Of course it did. Sure. And I was like, ah. And then he sort of danced away. And I was like, all right, that was good enough. Wow. You know? That was like, that was a pretty unbrand Jonathan Richmond interaction in your dream. It was. I mean, We were he's... both awkward, but we loved it. And then it was over. Like to, you know, I'm sure everyone who knows him, not really knows him, is sort of in love with him. And he, it almost feels like, 
if you had an older brother's friend who you knew, you just know it's never going to work in a million years, but I can love you like the way a little kid loves an older person in a way where you're just, you know, it's not going to work, but it has that wonderful quality because he's, I mean, beautiful mm. as well. Right, Ben? Absolutely dream bear. Great <laughs> style too. Yeah. Underrated. Oh. Style. Do you think? I mean, I don't know if it's no, under, no, no, those stripy under, shirts. No, are, I don't know if well, it's underrated. I, I, I don't, don't hear many. I don't see him on many lists of the most like influential. <laughs> like, you know, he looks still, he still looks amazing. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, what are some of the best stories that you'd heard about Jonathan? Like when we were digging up all this stuff and talking to people. I mean, the interesting thing is that the stories I feel like that actually reached me are the more kind of brief anecdotal ones, like the one of the couch with for cats only or the person who first reached out about him singing on the street or you know little stories that popped up artists I've talked to who were like oh yeah I was you know I was playing on the same bill as him and he you know came to soundcheck and said something like you know soundcheck awesome or you know just cute little things he would yes. say in passing and then our idea was to like really get into not just having these sweet little stories, but talking to people like Jerry Harrison and people, all the different people. Our first mistake. Our no. first mistake. <laughs> um, like all these different people who'd worked with him over the years. And Jerry had, wanted to do it, but my, the sense I got from his manager was he wanted to do it with Jonathan's blessing, which now knowing how intensely some of those people had felt Jonathan's blessing is like it can be withheld or it could be given, and it's often withheld. Totally. And he didn't want to—he didn't want to do something that would upset Jonathan, and so he passed on it. Yeah. Right, right. Well, I mean, so even you know, even this uh, Tim Mitchell book, like in the in the introduction, he points out that he asked Jonathan's permission to write the book, and Jonathan gave him permission, and that's how he was able to interview all of these guys, um, people I should say, uh, who had played with Jonathan over the years. Um, and, you know, some people get caught up on like a book is fine, but other media is not fine or whatever it might be. Um, so the idea that permission would be required, it wasn't even that surprising. And then sort of, you know, and we really, of course, love the idea we came up with about talking to all these people, not just, you know, people who have had passing encounters that are sweet, but, you know, whether it's like the Farrelly brothers or, yeah, Jerry Harrison, all this massive list of people who've interacted with him over the years, still a great idea for a show. Um, at some point in recent months, I thought like, okay, we're not hearing back from Jerry Harrison. And I feel like what I remember too is that Jerry's manager indicated like, oh yeah, Jerry likes this idea. Yeah, Jerry likes this idea, but just wants to run it by Jonathan. Okay, totally understand. And then crickets, we weren't hearing anything. Yeah, And then- I started thinking, oh, maybe I need to write Jonathan a letter because I know he's written back to people's letters over the years. And maybe I need to write him a letter and just say, hey, we're, here's our idea. We're working on this thing. We're talking snail mail? We snail talking email? mail. Okay. Snail mail. Yeah. yeah, that's the only way to do so it. So what address? Well, so a friend of mine who played a show with him and had gotten a letter from him subsequently that had his address on it. And so I was like, can I have that address? And he gave it to me. And so I was going to say in my letter, I got my your address from a friend who, hope it's okay. But I had the, you know, and I wrote the letter and I did different versions of it. And I bought, bought special paper for it. And I got some stickers and tchotchkes to put in it. And I addressed it and I put it in an envelope. And then I started thinking like, well, I hope that this is the right address. And I hope that it's not weird. And I hope that I don't, he doesn't leave for tour before it gets there. And so maybe I'll just reach out to the woman who, manages his stuff who I'd connected with before and just ask her, hey, and tell her our idea. 
and also say, I have this letter I've written. Is it okay if I mail it to him? And um, her response was, and I'm just going to read it because (laughs) I don't misquote. Also, King Tuff told me, our friend Kyle Thomas told me an amazing Jonathan Richmond story recently that I I, kind of wish we could just call him and have him tell it. Let's do that. That involves like seeing Jonathan Richmond at like a Whole Foods, like talking to two little boys. And yeah. (laughs) Well, we'll we'll get Kyle on and he can, that that, that could be a regular segment. Do you have any Jonathan Jonathan Richmond Richmond stories? stories. Let's see. Um Oh, no connection. That's right. I'm oh, you can hear. I get you on the Wi-Fi. Okay. Um, I, it reminds me of I just heard Mark Maron talking about he wanted to get Bob Dylan as his, like, thousandth episode guest or whatever wow, it was. Yeah. And he really set his mind to it. And he got, on with, um, he got on the phone with his manager. And he said, what do you think the chances are of Bob coming on my thousandth episode? It would be so amazing. I'd love to talk to him. And the manager just went. Zero. Zero percent chance. <laughs> yeah. What are the chances is a great way to start a humble question. Um, so let's see. Here we go. Yeah. She's on the Wi-Fi. Now, he's, it's, it's so amazing because I feel like even in this process of essentially having our best laid plans foiled, I have gotten to know him better in a sense. Like I have gotten to know what his value system is and I don't understand it anymore, but I've like, I kind of did like set out to learn a little bit more about him and just hearing these stories. And then I don't know the complexity of this character and culture is just amazing. Yeah, yeah, totally. So here's what it says. It says, while I personally think this is a good idea, Jonathan never gives his blessings or helps facilitate projects like this. From my experience, he will not want to be a go-between on a project where the focus is on him. And then she goes on to say, fans are always welcome to write Jonathan at this address. Write this down, folks at home. P.O. Box 3959, Chico, California, 95927. If you want to write Jonathan a letter, you're welcome to. He does not, he will not want to be a go-between on a project where the focus is on him. Mm. And That's so he just doesn't want. I love the idea of being a go-between with yourself or something. It sounds sort of like, I mean, it's a go-between. Because knowing that all well, of these a, people, right, everyone, sure, sure. just like Jerry Harrison, anyone yeah. we reached out to would have reach asked out to him. him. Right, right, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he, because the focus is him, he would not want to yeah, do it. Yeah. Too stressful. Yeah. Too stressful. I mean, and everyone respects him so much because he just feels like someone you want to respect. And, you know, so no one would want to do something that would. Make him uncomfortable. Can we have a moment just to talk about this pizza oven building mythology that is clearly a big part of Jonathan's contemporary life? Oh, totally, totally. (laughs) So, I mean, and the deal is that because he, when he loves something, he really loves it. When he gets into something, he really gets into it. So this was an interest of his that came up. uh, Wait, let me find the facts Building clay clay pizza ovens, right? Building, well, stone stone, stone stone masonry. Stone masonry in general. He learned stone masonry between tours in 1997. 1997 is prime something about Mary era. This is like his biggest moment of public recognition. Big moment for pizza ovens too. Big Starting to get into public consciousness. He got an Instagram targeted ad. <laughs> Next yeah, thing you know. But it's pre, it's sort of pre all that. Oh yeah, early adopter. Yeah, yeah. But um, so yeah, he just, he got obsessed with it. He, he started touring less because he loved stonemasonry and um, I don't know how early into loving stonemasonry he was like, aha, pizza ovens. But apparently he sort of subsequently specialized in it and does still have a, a functioning business, uh, presumably in Chico or whatever, that 
Yeah, actually, I looked this up once, and I think I think it's called like old world stonemasonry or something wow. like that. I did. I think it was Jerry's manager who I bumped into who said, "My impression is that the music supports the pizza oven building. That that it, it's that's his main priority. Wow, at the moment." <laughs> That's amazing. I mean, come on. That's amazing. So pure. I hope to find something like that (laughs) and, you know, at that point where you're just like, no, I I love this too. Totally. So let's, um, as we wrap up this episode, we'll play a little clip of, let's let's debate if you could pick one Jonathan Richmond song. Because there are going to be a lot of people listening to this who do not know this music. If you were going to introduce them with one song, let's all oh my God. let's all put to, you know see if I we can reach know, consensus. Back in your life, or so you'd go like acoustic mid late seventies kind of. I think so. Confessional, back in your life, or I am a little like Nature's Mosquito, or one of no, those kind of back in your not Nature's your Mosquito. Okay. I love Nature's okay. Mosquito, but I'm saying if you want something that, um, yeah, or Hospital back in your life. I mean, I think those are the. Intro, but hospital where that's modern lovers. That's a oh, you're you just talking about no, no. Not. I'm saying Eva. I'm saying, but yeah, we yeah. gotta. I'm trying to narrow it down. I mean, I think back. I don't know. I feel like back in your life. That's okay. what it's called, right? Yeah, Jenny. <sighs> <laughs> what about three? <laughs> okay, <laughs> we'll have three 15 second clips on the fade out. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Well, so one modern lovers song would be "I'm Straight." Mm. Um. His his like straight edge anthem. He like created straight edge basically with that song. Yeah, hippie Johnny, the hippie Johnny character. I'm straight. Um, Someone to hold me, or Mm. yeah, or is it somebody to hold me? Um, And uh, yeah, I'm gonna just stick with two. Mm. I don't want to go too far down the rabbit hole. I was thinking the lesbian bar was in Euphoria. Oh, was it really? Yeah. Euphoria. I was dancing I just, in a lesbian bar. Yeah. Goldie loves There's that a song. scene yeah. in Euphoria. I just saw it because I'm, I don't know. I just thought I should watch this. And there's a fun scene actually where um, three characters are like just singing and getting ready. Huh. I was dancing in a lesbian yeah. bar. Interesting. So that's another sort of popular thing that happened yeah. to him recently. One, one, of my, um, one of my favorites is an early Mon Lover song. I think that bridges the two worlds is um girlfriend because it's it's so romantic it's got the punk the raw punk thing of the arrangement but it's like i love he goes a girl i want a girlfriend that's g-i-r-l-f-r-e-n that's a girlfriend (laughs) baby that's something i understand yeah that's in my little three of the mine are like the but like I love him, and I love like Ice Cream Man. Like I love all the oh, silly. Yeah. I love when he gets silly, and all the country record is yeah, so good. Yeah, the country record since she started to ride oh about the girlfriend who's into ho- more into horses than she is into him. And or- the neighbors, like yeah. if you leave here in the morning, what will the neighbors tell my wife? <laughs> it's like, too real. <laughs> oh my god, incredible and funny. Well, Jenny, thank you for joining us, and I'm sure there'll be other fandom adventures that we will pursue we in can the do a part two perhaps yeah maybe there'll be maybe something will come maybe something will come out of this. we didn't someday. get his permission for this but no you know we don't what? need his we permission for this but maybe yeah. someday jonathan will feel differently about it and that's what i wrote back to her and said you know if he ever feels differently about it let us know because i get it and i i mean it does make me almost love him more that he isn't up for this you know it's just sort of like he's just like no don't worry about it just love my music and don't you don't have to make anything totally um our audience uh called the beautiful babies you want to bid them farewell 
Beautiful babies. Where do I look? Is this my Any way you want, yeah. Beautiful babies. Farewell, beautiful babies. Thanks for having me on Weirder Together. Well, take me way up north to meet your mom and dad So they'll see that Jonathan ain't quite so bad I want to be back in your life I want to be back in your life Baby, baby, baby Baby, baby, baby Take me to the fields you used to roam So your pal Jonathan can call them home When I'm back in your life I want to be back in your life Baby, baby, baby Baby, baby well, take me to your- Mom deserves the best And there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day Than Whole Foods Market They're your destination for unbeatable savings From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.